In 30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you've left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is a ritual. Carl Jung said, Who looks outside dreams, who looks inside awakes. The creation of something new is not accomplished by the intellect, but by the play instinct acting from inner necessity. The creative mind plays with the objects it loves. All the works of man have their origin in creative fantasy. Many years ago, when the idea of becoming a wizard was still a twinkle in my eye, but well on its way to becoming a burning obsession, I went to see a hypnotist. During the intake call, He asked if I wanted to quit smoking, lose weight, or reduce anxiety. No, I said. I've got a big idea in my head, and I want you to help me get it out. I went in for my session, and he was a very competent hypnotist, but the real magic happened when I was getting ready to leave. I asked him for a recommendation on where I could learn more about hypnosis, since Googling hypnosis is a great way to waste hours sorting through shady, spammy nonsense. He recommended the website hypnosisdownloads.com, and it was there that I found a self-hypnosis tape that would change my life forever. In the months leading up to my ritual to become a wizard, I listened to that tape on creating your own reality over and over and over. I listened to it so often I could repeat every line, even as my unconscious mind swam in the watery depths of trance. This process of tapping into unconscious creativity not only helped me transform myself into a wizard, creating the reality I'd mentally rehearsed so many times, but it became a fundamental pillar of my wizardry. Which is why I'm excited to share my own version of this tape with you, the participants of this podcast as a ritual. The new reality I want to create is one where wizardry stretches beyond my own boundaries to bring magic into the lives of all of you ritual participants in new and powerful ways. So, if you're a participant of this ritual already, go to patreon.com slash thispodcastritual and you'll find that tape there, waiting to help you use your own innate creativity to alter your reality. And if you haven't yet become a true participant in this ritual, now's a great time to boldly sacrifice $4.20 on the altar of our weird wizard Patreon so you can access this tape and all the other bonus content as together we continue to avoid the many opportunities for apocalypse and seek out that slightly better reality. Now, speaking of dancing in the creative powers of the unconscious, our guest today is Johanna Warren, a fabulous folk musician, healer, and artist whose work sparkles with spiritual truth. After years of relentless touring, including an incredible plant medicine tour that saw her inviting herbalists and plant folk out to co-present at each show, Johanna, like the rest of us, has had to adjust to the changing pace of COVID-19. Which is a bit ironic, because right as quarantine kicked in, she released a brand new record, Chaotic Good, 
and was all set to hit the road once again. But, like the title of the album implies, sometimes the chaotic and unexpected contain seeds of what we didn't even know we needed. And sometimes, you gotta embrace fantasy, like wizards and magic quest-level fantasy, to remember how to reconnect with your creativity. But before we chat with Johanna, let's take a sip of Rose Potion, the first track off her new album, Chaotic Good. The dead walk behind me Though I do not recognize their faces I know they are here to remind me of the space between the spaces I'm drinking down a potion I decocted from the roses in my garden when my spirits told me they could feel my heart was hardening would you Mysteries of the universe What difference does it really make After all, if we had another chance to do it right I'd give it all I had Just like I did before when you left me with nothing at all The darkness this has brought upon me Hungers for the I was young and losing teeth Which I loved to wiggle so deliciously with my tongue Now I see you're not a perfect prism Just the perfect foil for my masochism Tell me, do I look different to of our little cataclysm Would you call God I call the mysteries of the universe What difference does it really make After all, if we had another chance to do it right I'd give it all I had Just like I did before when you left me with nothing at all Tired and I feel ashamed of how I've let my narcissism reign untamed And yet I know that to blame myself is part of the same old game The only way to get free is to does it really make after all if we had another chance 
just to do it right I'd give it all I have Just like I did before when you left me with nothing at all They kissed my petals with their vapor lips And savored my salty fingertips And cradled me Welcome, Johanna. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure and delight to have you here. It is such a beautiful fall that we're sharing. What's our magic word going to be? Our magic word is thank you. Oh. I know it's kind of two words, but... I, I, in... I One, we've never had that be the magic word before, and it's such a classic magic word, so mm. uh, I, I really appreciate it. So on okay. the count of three, one, two, three... Thank you. Well, thank you for that magical word. Thank you for asking me for that magical word. What what brought that to mind? Um, I've been thinking about what has felt most magical to me lately. What are the moments throughout my day where I feel most connected to this power and beauty and um, potency and those moments of feeling and expressing gratitude are account for almost all of those moments for me these days, just when I'm really present and appreciating what is right in front of me and just really allowing that to sink in and, and then expressing it, you know? Yeah. There's a, I think there's like a directionality to thank you, which is kind of interesting because often gratitude is this nebulous, like I'm just practicing gratitude, but mm-hmm. thank you is like, hey, you did a thing. Yes. Thank you. I, I, yes. I received the thing and I appreciate yes. it and I see it. Let me tell you how much it means to me. And, you know, it's funny because the other day I was with a, a little kid who was um, commanding a grown up to do something for them and the grown up was like what's the magic word and she said she she didn't know <laughs> but I know the answer is supposed to be please but um and you know please and thank yous go hand in hand and I was thinking about how most prayer for a lot of people is more please oriented like please god give me that car I want you know but I find thank you to actually work a lot better for me just just um really appreciating what i already have and not begging not focusing on that lack yes and i mean and then that lack can be so endless because you're like Mm -hmm. please 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 and then you get the thing and then you're like okay cross it off the list go down one row okay well now Mm -hmm. i really need this yep a second car bigger car shinier car car. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so, yeah, and I was reading, I've been reading this book um, called Active Hope by Joanna Macy. Are you familiar with her? No, I'm not. She's so wonderful. She's um, an environmental activist and Buddhist and teacher and creator of this modality um, 
the uh, the work that reconnects it's called that's all about helping people feel their grief uh, about the the environment and reconnect with the earth and feel all the feelings and find the inspiration and motivation to go forth and do something about it in the world um, and this book is beautiful but there was this section about gratitude that really touched me it was about how studies have been done that prove that um when we are grateful we're more likely to be generous like gratitude begets generosity um like there was a study where um a stack of coins was left in a phone booth and the person who came in and found the coins there um was far more likely upon exiting the phone booth to help a person that was planted by this study, like a, a person was walking outside the phone booth and had like scattered their papers and was scrambling around trying to pick them up. And the people who had found the coins were statistically far more likely to help the person in need after they had received a free gift. That is so fascinating. I also love, I, I love reading about studies like that. And it must be such a funny, weird thing to be like, all right, me and my grad students are going to dress up and go <laughs> like basically p- prank a bunch of people trying to use a phone booth today, yeah. but we're taking notes and it's like, we're, we're doing it for a good cause. In the name of science. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully you're not traumatizing anybody and you're just leaving coins yeah. around. And Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I thought that was just really an important reminder that I think, you know, the world needs so much generosity right now we need to be giving so much to each other and to the earth and i think to fill up that cup that then can overspill into other people's cups we need to draw up through this gravity channel uh, gratitude channel wow i said gravity and wow gratitude gravity gratitude yeah. is gravity keeps us connected <laughs> holds us together i think there's a, i think there's a parallel there. <laughs> there's something something to it <laughs> well i think what you said about reconnection is is really vital because we're so hyper connected in this moment in a lot of ways and yet it really is hard to appreciate all of the miracle and wonder that's zooming around us and reconnect i think with what you said quite beautifully of uh the trauma and grief of the devastation that's happening around us and numbness and apathy i think are very easy pitfalls i find myself constantly you know overthinking things and then just going like just becoming paralyzed in an action of what can i do mm-hmm. there's there's so much the puzzle is so complicated i don't even know what string to pull anymore <sighs> and the idea of just reaching inside of yourself and and seeing which wires come loose and, and plugging that back in um, feels very helpful. It really does. Yeah, I feel you so hard. Yeah, it's it's really difficult to not feel completely overwhelmed by the yeah. immensity of the task at hand. So speaking of giant immense things, um, <laughs> you have been a touring musician for quite a few years now. And I imagine that has changed uh, drastically this year. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more about your your journey this year and what's been going on for you. Mm, yeah, it has been uh, full of unexpected twists and twists and turns. Um, 
I was planning to be on tour for the foreseeable future because I put out a record in May, so I was definitely going to be on the road for the rest of the year. Um, but obviously that all got canceled right before it was about to start. Um, and to be honest, I felt such immense relief mm -hmm. pretty immediately. And I think I was just reflecting on how I think a lot of people have found that as difficult as this time has been for many. I think a lot of people are realizing that they were not in love with the work they were doing or the routine of it and are not actually in any big hurry to get back to it. Um, yeah, the, for me, the touring lifestyle was really brutal in a lot of important ways, just as a, a body, just any human body being put in that many moving vehicles to be in a different city every night. That's just a rough way to mm. live. Um, and I have some chronic illnesses that just compacted that so much and made it infinitely harder um, just to feel at all okay in my flesh suit. Um, so it's just a constant grind. And then on top of that, the guilt uh, of the carbon footprint and just the waste and plastics use and just everything about traveling that much was not sitting well with me for a really long time. So s slowing down and being forced to stop actually has felt like a massive weight off my shoulders. You really realize like what, um, especially touring in America, like our consumer culture is made of when you're living on the road and the options that you have available are so defined by convenience and so inconvenient uh, if you're trying to do anything other than just slam cheap calories into your face hole and, and get back on the road. <laughs> Fill a landfill as quickly as possible. Yeah, I remember meeting these Danish girls uh, forever ago that were like, couch surfing and traveling across the US and they and one of them was trying to explain she was like yes we saw in this gas station a hamburger in a jar <laughs> I think Ooh. they just met in like a plastic wrap thing but I'm like <laughs> a hamburger in a jar I'm like yeah well you're at a gas station like what do you expect like what kind of food are you looking for they're like I don't know in Denmark we have like fresh salads or like nicely prepared sandwich like made by a person like I'm like all right all right I get it yeah it's so true. I actually was just in Denmark um, and they I went to a 7-Eleven and they had raw superfood balls, like <laughs> like nut and seed balls with spirulina. Yep. I was like, this is 7-Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're like, well, the, 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 the raw sushi bar is better at the AMPM, but you know, 7-Eleven got, got your spirulina taken care of. And I was like, I'm just trying to get a hamburger in a jar. Can you help me out? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've, I've only been on tour very briefly. I, I roadied for a band for about five weeks. And it's mm. a fascinating experience because on the one hand, it's, it's ultimate novelty. You're someplace different all the time. You're always meeting new people. And then it was amazing to me to see how even in just that short span, that ultimate novelty became endless repetition. Mm -hmm. And nothing was like sticking because it's like, oh, 
here's the room that we're in tonight. Okay, like mm. here's the room that we're in tomorrow. It kind of looks like the room from last night. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, every way of doing it has its blessings and curses, I think. I was, mm. um, my first ever touring experience was with a big band that had a big budget and it was all hotel rooms and double-decker tour buses. Um, but that exactly what you're describing was my experience of that it just kind of all bled together into a sort of monotony because it was you know we were playing these massive theaters that were in the equivalent of like midtown manhattan wherever we were just kind of the same sort of global urban culture mm -hmm. um but my solo touring has been on sort of the opposite end of the spectrum most of the time where I play a lot of house shows and a lot of like farms and sort of locations off the beaten path in more rural locations or just just all over the map and then often staying where I play if it's a house show a lot of the time you'll just be invited to stay with the host um, and finding myself in a lot of different kinds of situations which I personally prefer because it avoids that monotony and because you get the actual human connection of staying with real people, eating food that they've prepared probably, and like just really getting to see a lot of different corners of the world. Um, but the, the downside is you, like no personal space. Like the only mm -hmm. alone time you have is when you're in the bathroom or in your car. <laughs> um, yeah. um, and not making that same kind of money for sure. It's more of like a quest than an adventure. You're like pulling up to the local inn and, and seeing if you can just get a room for the night before, yes. you know, you have to go slay some orcs or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. There's a remarkable level of access that you get. I think when you do that kind of touring, because if you pulled up to uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, and you were just, on your own you'd be like where do i find the interesting culture here like mm -hmm. there's probably something cool here but like how do i not just hang out in the subway parking lot tonight and <laughs> when you're touring like that you get invited into like the weirdest farmhouse outside of the city where there's a bunch of mm -hmm. diy kids that have an art space and do puppet shows and you're like this is yes. incredible truly yes and back to the magic word thank you universe for that amazing experience like as brutal as it has been it has been such an epically interesting life and i feel so grateful to have made contact with so many fascinating weirdos doing all kinds of beautiful things um and yeah just getting to see so much of the world and meet so many different kinds of people so yeah i wouldn't trade it in for anything but i'm also really glad to be having a rest right now well, I, I loved reading about um, the intention that you brought to like kind of, I think, make that weirdness even more profound uh, with what was it? Was it the plant magic tour? I'm trying to remember the name you mm -hmm. had for it. Yeah, plant medicine. Plant medicine. Yeah. And you were bringing different herbalists and people that you found in the area out to the show, which just seems like such a cool way to say, well, I've got a venue that's going to be full of weird, cool people. And I found this other weird, cool person. And like, how do mm -hmm. I join those two points? What was that like? Mm, oh, it was so beautiful. Yeah, it was, it sprang from gratitude to the plant kingdom and a sort of feeling of indebtedness, actually, because I, I have been blessed and cursed with many um, physical maladies over my life. And 
Western allopathic medicine had almost nothing useful to say about most of them. Mm -hmm. Um, just kind of, here's a, another pharmaceutical that you'll have to be on for the rest of your life. That's going to cause all these side effects that you'll need all these other pharmaceuticals to manage. Um, so it was kind of just a traffic jam of nightmares. Um, so I, in my young adulthood, just kind of started to seek alternatives and that brought me to herbalism and Reiki and acupuncture and just all of these ancient traditional healing lineages that hooked it up for me and really just have helped me exist and thrive um and i was just sitting in the forest in oregon one day just feeling this immense gratitude to all of these plant friends around and i just asked like what can i do for you and immediately heard this really loud response it was like dude you can talk you have a mouth you speak english and humans understand you and most humans have forgotten how to hear us but you can hear us and mm -hmm. we need you to be our megaphone like you are putting yourself on stage in front of hundreds of people every night and we've got some shit to say so we've elected you to be our ambassador <laughs> 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 I was like, okay. And then that tour booked itself so fast. Like I it, over the course of three months, I booked a three-month tour around the entire United States, like 70 plus shows, um with herbalists and farmers in every location. And that all like I worked really hard, but it manifested itself so Mm -hmm. gracefully and easily i have no doubt that there was some um interdimensional assistance from the plants who nominated me for the task you know <laughs> well and i think that there's a beautiful power to um what's the word for it it's not quite novelty because novelty can often feel so cheap but something new and different mm -hmm. i think if people are like oh you want to book a show you're a musician okay like that goes into this pile of other requests that are sitting on my desk whereas mm -hmm. this feels so different and cool and exciting and I could imagine telling my friend who I know is into this that you have to come to the show because it's going to mm. be this thing and I think that yeah. stuff that um that sparks human interest and generates word of mouth uh attraction is very powerful mm, that's a good point and also I think I, I was intentionally booking a lot of shows in non-traditional venues like at farms or in herb shops or um gardens so that it i didn't get just chucked in the slush pile of yet another singer-songwriter trying to play at the acoustic cafe you know yeah the the, the farm isn't like ah we've got red hot chili peppers doing three nights uh <laughs> can you do tuesday <laughs> So let's go back to this uh, this big change because I, I totally understand that feeling of uh, I was in a similar boat of like doing multiple performances and rituals and events and things every month. And then when suddenly this pandemic swept that all away, there was a moment of, oh, okay, cool. cool. <laughs> I, mm. have, I, have, I have space. That's a, that's a nice new thing to enjoy. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm curious about how uh, you pivoted in this in this moment hmm. 
part of my brain is still hung up on trying to make a joke out of the red hot chili peppers at the farm because like they're peppers and there are probably peppers at the farm but I'm way too slow <laughs> so, like, was- now I'm now I'm picturing like the whole like farm bill of like you know like the like uh Coachella poster but what are all the different bands that I could think of uh We've got black sheep, infected mushroom, red hot chili peppers, wow, the black yes. eyed peas. Oh my god! Yes, you're so much smarter than I am. I'm like, still, my brain is just still like grinding slowly away at those words, like peppers farm. There's something in there. I don't. I don't, I don't think uh, smart's the right word. I think uh, like freakish mutation for dad jokes, but uh, I'll, I'll take it all the same. Oh. Well, I'm impressed. Um, but okay yes you asked a question which was about pivoting in that moment when everything uh all the plans fell apart the pandemic Um, pivot the new dance crave (laughs) (laughs) everybody turn to the left and wash your hands for 30 seconds put on a mask and uh go bake some banana bread All inside bubbles. Yeah. Um, I I felt very fortunate because the way that things timed out, like if if the lockdown had happened a week later than it did, I would have been homeless in a van somewhere in Europe with nowhere to go back to. Um, and my, my sweetie would have been in that van with me also recently homeless (laughs) because he's, he's been living here in Wales in this beautiful house in the country for the last five years. And we were going to be traveling together, um, for the rest of the year in a van. And he was going to be moving out of this house, like at the end of April, or the end of March, yeah, mm-hmm. April 1st, he would have been out. So as it happened, we were able to keep the house. I was able to fly over in like the last few days that it would have been possible for me to fly over right before everything completely locked down. So we really just kind of whoo, slid right under the wire and found ourselves in actually such an ideal situation because there's no people around. It's just sheep and medicinal plants and everything that I want to be doing anyway which is just like reveling in the like one of the few remaining little corners of Eden on this green earth you know so I feel so overwhelmed with gratitude at the miraculous way that that lined up yeah Um, thank you thank you thank (laughs) you so much yeah yeah, I think that I mean, you know, it's 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 a very tricky conversation because privilege and then the things that we call luck and manifestation can be very intricately wound together and it can be easy mm-hmm. to be like, "Oh, I manifested this." And it's like, "Wait, you manifested this business loan?" I don't know. I think there might mm-hmm. be some cultural elements that played into that. Yes. But um I think at the same time, luck and these these flows of chance are very real and it's amazing the way that uh, even in something that is so tumultuous and uh, pattern breaking that 
you can manage to just be like, wow, that was perfect timing. Like if I had to pick mm-hmm. the moment when everything was going to blow up, uh, that was the moment for it to blow up. Yes. Yes. Yep. Um, yeah. And that examination of privilege has been a massive part of my quarantine times, as I'm sure it has been for many people. Um, and where I've sat with it is like, especially having just jumped off the sinking ship of America, like just like that I, I'm not there, but everyone I know and love is in America. And mm-hmm. I feel so entangled with everything that's going on. Um, but I'm physically far away from it and feel like, you know, just if I open my eyes and look around at what is immediately present for me, like n- everything's perfect like if I didn't have the internet and didn't have um yeah access through my friends to knowledge of everything that's going on where I've been my entire life up until now I would never know that anything was going on other than sheep giving birth and having the lambs taken away that's like the biggest drama and tragedy in my immediate vicinity but um yeah if you're (laughs) trying to understand this like via letter like if you were like yeah. away in Wales and you're like, you know, like my dearest Eileen, blah, 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 blah. Like, how have you been? And then you get a letter. It's like, this is what's happened in America. You're like, wow, that's so crazy. Let me like write and ask more. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Everything in my last letter, it's that's no longer relevant. It's now right. this new crazy thing. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like the, the, the speed that things have like gone through this year is, is just absolutely yeah. wild. I, I found myself being almost nostalgic for like March, April quarantine in mm. New York where I was like in my cozy apartment and had my tidy little routines and it felt so secure. And then this summer, I think it kind of, uh, someone shook the snow globe and mm. suddenly it was just like, Oh wait, no, that was an illusion. Everything is chaos. Yeah, I feel like that's happened like once a week at least. Just shake it again. Oh, it just settled. Time to shake it again. <laughs> yeah, it's madness. But yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I'm trying to figure out like what even to do with having found myself in this odd little pocket of peace and beauty. I'm like, that I've, I've been actually kind of suffering so much about that. Um, like the weight of this privilege is, um, hard. It's hard to know what to do with it. I'm like, cause I don't want to just abandon it because I don't know what to do with it. Like I, I want to find some way to feel like I'm actually using what is in front of me to do good and share it. And the closest that I've gotten to with that right now is just, doing the grief work because I've realized, you know, I've been having this anxiety like every day waking up and looking around at this beauty and I just, it floods me with fear. And I'm like, okay, what is that? Oh, I think there's a massive grief attached to it. It's like sitting at the bedside of someone that is dying that I love so much and like looking in their eyes and just being really present with them and, um, just knowing like, you know, this might, you might not be around for much longer and, but I'm going to really love you while you're here and ask you what you need, if I can ease your suffering in any way. But then hopefully like I've been, you know, in meditation, just kind of visualizing 
sending this out to the whole world like just the the amount of beauty and space and like clean air and clean water it's like this is what planet earth is set up to be and we have made some grave missteps that call into question the uh the future of this but i really really believe that we can turn it around and allow it the space to flourish again and it's just like oh my god this is the first time in my life that I've had consistent access to this level of just like natural beauty I've always just lived in cities and shitty suburbs and it's been revelatory to me to just go outside and like walk these hills and see like wild horses running around I'm like oh my god this is this is real this could be our lives you know that's amazing. I mean, I'm in Kentucky and I haven't even seen a wild horse yet. I've seen them in like mm. paddocks and fences, but that's, that's, that's amazing. Oh, it, yeah, it breaks the heart. It's like, damn, planet Earth is so cool and, and so diverse, like just so many different zones of biodiversity and just amazing beauty. And we are paving it all over to erect highways and strip malls and yep. It's just so dumb. To put hamburgers in jars. <laughs> no. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think about that conundrum every time I watch a really amazing BBC nature documentary. Yeah. And I'm so moved by these images about how complex and amazing and beautiful Earth is. And then I'm thinking, well, I'm having this experience of awe and rapture because somebody trekked out into the wilds of Borneo with a camera and sat for nine months to use this incredible piece of technology to capture this. Mm -hmm. And sure, you know, it's, it's, it's great for nature to do its own thing with nobody watching. Uh, but there's, there's a, a, a sort of beautifulness of, of, of witnessing this thing, even when it's recorded and it's, it's, and these two things like, um, clash in such a weird way of like oh i'm so glad we got to see this did we have to ruin everything to get to see it like mm. could we could we not peek in the box without uh breaking the box mm. yeah i hope i hope that we can find a way back and forward at the same time you know weaving it's like weaving like picking up this thread that was put down and braiding it into the future tapestry of just you know remembering how our ancestors lived not too long ago mm -hmm. in a, a way that was balanced and you know i mean of course there was always warfare and disease and things have always been rocky as far as recorded history goes back but Oh, I mean, wherever humans have gone, we've we've triggered massive extinctions of <laughs> of large mammals and other species. But I know what you mean. There's there's a difference between, um, you know, oops, we ate we ate too many. Uh, what are the what are the ones in Australia? Like I don't know, like <laughs> uh, giant Australian deer or something. Versus uh, we've killed off entire continents and poisoned an ocean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess, I don't know, some, I've been finding some comfort in just zooming out and seeing from a cosmic perspective, the larger time scales and mm -hmm. the, the waves of mass extinction and tectonic plate shifting and 
volcanoes and asteroids and just how much shit has gone down on planet earth and i'm like you know we're not actually we think we're so unique but we're kind of just part of these larger cycles of creation and destruction and um Oh, absolutely. I, I I try not to get into like a nihilistic apathy with that, but I, I, I very <laughs> yeah. much think the same thing where I'm like, uh, the real crisis here isn't Earth. It's our presence on Earth. Earth mm-hmm. can kick us off and we can make it really hard for us to live, but mm-hmm. Earth could easily survive um you know, a couple shitty million years and then flourish again with a totally new species of life that is happy to eat our plastics and mm. uh, thrive in a way that we didn't imagine possible. So it's, yeah. it's more like, do we want to keep living here rather than um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm very cynical about our ability to extinguish life on earth. Maybe that's naive mm. of me, but um uh, especially like like the unicellular life that's been around, mm-hmm. that is life, that has been around here since the beginning and is actually what balances the temperature of the planet and has actually shaped Earth into the uh, structure that it is today. Um, yes. That stuff is amazing. And so... Yes, and that is already adapting to eat plastics. Yeah. 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 I'm not worried either, but then, yeah, I guess that's the the very delicate balance that always needs to be struck is like not teetering into the nihilism, but also not getting so bogged down in anxiety and grief that you're rendered um, completely paralyzed. Um, yeah. Which brings me to uh, a question that I've been curious about since I started listening to your music. Um, your new album is Chaotic Good, and I would love for you to talk a little bit about the inspiration for that title because uh, I love it quite a lot. Oh, good. Um, well, yeah, what you said before about uh, like battling orcs on, on tour as you go to inquire at the end, that was honestly the, the origin of... Um, the title was this <laughs> this one particular day on that plant medicine tour where I it the whole thing was such a colorful campaign um but this one day off in Utah I was driving by a mountain and I'd been um I, I just recently kind of had my heart smashed by this this guy on the other side of the country and he just kind of pulled the rug out from under me and I was um determined to not contact him that day and I Mm. I drove by this mountain and I was like I'm not gonna call him I'm gonna drive and climb up this mountain um and I did and I was the only person on the mountain that I saw and I didn't have anything with me any kind of like mountaineering gear I mean it wasn't like a proper like Everest type situation but it was a sizable small mountain you're not Um, hanging from your like fingertips (laughs) fighting off eagles that (laughs) maybe I was all of your (laughs) listeners um determine how they wish to envision this but I will I did not have any water with me I did not have any food I was just like I'm gonna climb this mountain and I was in this sort of mystical trance like it felt very kind of past life regression-y like I it looked even though I was in 
rural Utah, it had this kind of ancient China vibe going on. And I was feeling this like ancient warrior lifetime coming through. And I was singing this song to myself about um, how I've fought hard for my freedom. I'm not going back in the cage. And at that moment, after walking for some time and not seeing any other human being or really any other animal life, um, I saw this young man on the path ahead of me um, with a big staff and he was reaching down to pick up small boulders, <laughs> large rocks, and putting them in his the pockets of his cargo shorts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have this like image of like yeah like a mall wizard this is so great exactly, yeah it was like a target brand t-shirt with like a velvet raven on it like yeah, yeah you're seeing you're normally seeing. i would ask you three riddles but today it will only be one because my mom is picking me up and we're going to get frozen yogurt <laughs> wait was it you <laughs> A wizard wears many disguises, sometimes, <laughs> but no, actually never cargo shorts. <laughs> <laughs> well, he ID'd himself as a druid um, <clears throat> of a, some particular order. I think he said of the order of chaos. Mm. Um, and he said his master had sent him up there to train, um, hence the rocks in the cargo short pockets. Um and so we walked and talked for a while and we reached this little bridge. Oh, oh, because, okay. So I was walking up the hill and he, he saw me and turned and was like, you look like a witch. And I said, I am. And he was so pumped. He was like, Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, he's out here on his quest. I think that's the thing is like, we're, we're always the, uh, the guest star in somebody else's TV show. And yes. he's out here collecting rocks in the hot sun for whatever his master is, which I, you know, what training, <laughs> fill your, fill your cargo shorts with rocks. Okay. Uh, but then, yeah, to read, to meet a, a real witch, that's a, who's on a plant medicine tour. Like that's amazing. In Utah. In Utah. What are the odds really? That yeah. that's what he was like. You don't really get many of us around here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, we walked and talked, got to this bridge I'm hoping that this dude listens to this podcast, by the way. That would be like the coolest. <laughs> if you're listening, whoever you are, thank you. Thank you, Rocky, the cargo short wearing chaos druid. <laughs> um, DM me. <laughs> um, um, okay, so he he stopped me and said, put out your hands. And he unhooked his belt it's not going where you think it is, I promise. He unhooked his belt and took off a, a sword from his belt and passed it to me and was like, hold it between your hands. And so I did. And he said, now breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth and ask him his name. And I did. And I thought I heard a name, but I was like, uh, I'm not sure. And he was like, Barry? No, I Barry, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Barry! <laughs> um, uh, and he said, 
now ask him if he wants you to be his master. And I was like, I think that's a yes, but what do you think? I passed it back to him and he, he it like leapt out of his hands and he was like, oh my God, I have, I have never heard this blade speak so clearly before. He said, take your grubby hands off me and give me back to my master. <laughs> he was like, I've had this blade for six months and he's not accepted me as, as his master. So I think he wants to go with you. <laughs> Apparently, his mom had given it to him for Christmas. <laughs> Wait, for real? Yeah. <laughs> I, I I am loving this story so much because I think, like, when you start to get into like mysticism or like these kind of woo new age things, like everybody has that fantasy in the back of their their mind of like meeting the master on the top of the mountain in the, in the <laughs> Himalayas or going into like the new age bookstore, and then the person's like, "Wait, I have something for you," and they take you past all the like Llewellyn angel magic books, and then they take you to the back room, and then they give you the book from Never Ending Story, and they're like. <laughs> they blow the dust off and they're like this is for you and you're like whoa and like purple lightning crackles around the edges of the pages but instead it's like you're meeting a kid with cargo shorts and a sword and yet this is still like mystic and amazing like it doesn't take anything yes. away from the story no it really adds to it i would say yes so i would say so yeah much. he's like sucking down an orange julius and he's like this sword <laughs> it's for you It was, it was beautiful. And then, so we walked up the rest of the mountain, did not see another human being. And as when we got to the top... Wait, what was the sword's name? I think I, I, I said Barry, but that was a joke. Um, I I don't actually want to say. It's, oh, okay, it's, sure. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's all good. It was like a very beautiful, mystical-sounding name that I had never heard before. It's, it, it's related to... Um, the word samsara, mm. which is, you know, kind of the, the breaking of the cycle of death and birth, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, so, so that feels cool. Um, but anyway, we got to the top of the mountain and there were these tiny little waterfalls and rainbows, like three small rainbows through the mist of these waterfalls. And the orange julius kid was like go go stand in the the mist and like um uh, what was the word he used like do to like merge your spirit with the sword Mm. Um, like introduce yourself basically and like it yeah it was beautiful and then the rest of the tour i slept with that thing under my pillow because i was sleeping in my van a lot yeah and um it was a game changer because i had never I had never wanted to carry a weapon because I've just been kind of of the like pacifistic mindset mm. that like if you carry a weapon it's just going to magnetize violence to you or whatever. Totally. But I didn't I didn't realize how much psychic and physical stress I was under as a young woman traveling by myself sleeping in a van in like truck stop parking lots sometimes mm-hmm. and not having any kind of self defense. So not having sleeping- a badass sword. Yeah, that's Not, totally yeah. What was I thinking? Yeah, because it definitely freed up a lot of energy to sleep with that thing under my pillow and know that like I was good. If somebody came breaking in, I would like 
have something to say about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was much better able to sleep at night. The glint of cold steel in a truck stop parking lot. <laughs> and so, um, and that led to chaotic good? Yeah, just, on, you know, on the way back down the mountain, I was like, all right, my life is fully Dungeons and Dragons now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like living it. Because I think I think chaotic good it, it, it speaks to me because uh, it sort of gets to what Alan Watts called like the irreducible rascality like whatever you mm. want to describe life as you can't paint an accurate picture of life that gets rid of this rascality because if you mm. paint a version that's all good and everything is beautiful there's so many things that you're like no that's that's pretty fucked up over there like that that kind of breaks mm. it and if you want to paint a doom and gloom you know everything is rotten and evil then there's a bunch of humor and lightness and amazing things that you're missing. And that, that tricky balance in between, I think chaotic good symbolizes so well of like, Mm. it's, it's not, um, it's not like a Gryffindor and Harry Potter. That's all like Mm. noble and kind of pompous. It's, it's more, um, yeah. Like the, the, Mm. the kind hearted thief. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that speaks so clearly to, um, the protests in the states too like I've, I've thought about that too like obviously i didn't foresee that but um it does feel like a lot of chaotic good happening in terms of you know toppling statues of slave owners you know like mm-hmm. you know doing things that some people are like oh that's you know it's not lawful good but it's good yeah. you know and it's sometimes you've got to stir the pot and Make you some. need to file a petition with the city ordinance and wait yeah. six months for the appeal process. Yeah, fuck that. Good luck. Fuck that. Yeah. Um, yeah, by, by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to do one more pivot in our conversational meander, uh, but I would love to learn more about how since you uh, your life got flipped, turned upside down, and now you've been out in Wales and not on the road, um, what your creative process has been like and how that's evolved and changed and you've sort of reconnected with it. Yes. Um, it's been a humbling process of just kind of taking an honest assessment of where I've been with creativity, which has been something of an abusive relationship inside myself Like, I feel like my, I've been having this interesting psychosomatic, psychospiritual issue with my voice for the last couple years, where sometimes in the middle of a performance, my voice will just kind of, like my throat will close. Mm. And I've done so much meditation about it, so much energy work, just deep listening and asking and what has come up is like this image of this sad little circus performer being whipped by a um, ringmaster who's just like, she's not having fun and Mm -hmm. she's just sitting on the edge of the stage crying. And he's like, I don't care about your tears. Like the show must go on, get out there and make me money. Um, And I've been doing that to myself, to my, to my own, instrument to my muse just 
because capitalism, you know, mm-hmm. because I've gotten hypnotized by the the hunger for power and money and fame and the obsession with um self-harm in this kind of glorified way of like yeah i toured around the country for three months driving myself in a van and sleeping in truck stops because i'm so great you know protestant work ethic self-flagellation masochism or uh yeah masochism yeah where it's like uh look how hard i worked i have blisters all over my hands yeah what a trip so yeah just kind of step one i think was just admitting that i have a problem and I'm in this recovery process of like, what does it look like if I just don't force myself to do anything that I don't want to do and just allow space for the pure desire to emerge if it will, but never like, you know, berating myself for not being in the creative flow or something, because that's all been coming from uh, an egotistical place and uh, a money-making place and it's just yeah it's it's become too polluted and I'm like at this point it's like I feel like I would be more in my integrity just going back to work at a coffee shop as I did through my teenage years and early 20s than like going back on tour against my will you know mm-hmm Um, so, well, the actual creative process, I guess, has, it's been, it's looked slower because I've been really hyper productive for a long time, just kind of because I thought I had to be, it's been slower. I've been cooking a lot. That has been sort of an outlet for creative energy, just like harvesting foraged foods and making cool things with them. Like, you know, I'm actually creating something, but it's not something that I'm going to sell or, um, yeah, like it's, it's temporary. It's fleeting. I appreciate it in the moment and then it's gone. You know, I'm not like uh, piling trophies on my shelves right now. Yeah. I think there's something very interesting to be said about craft, uh, that isn't marketed, but it's just sustaining like the, the kinds of things that you're like, I'm making food and I'm consuming it. And that's just, uh, I'm, I'm doing this to occupy myself and entertain myself and to work with these things. And, um, it's so funny if you, I think in the current world, if you have any kind of interest and you tell someone about it, they'll immediately ask you about your business plan in a way. Like I made hot sauce and people were like, oh, are you going to sell it? I'm like, no, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to like sit at farmer's markets on the weekend trying to sell my hot sauce. Like I want to enjoy this as a thing and then like share it with friends and be done with it. Like that's, that can be its own path. It doesn't have to be always onwards and upwards and how do you, uh, how do you package it and brand it and grow the Instagram following and so on and so on. Ugh, yeah. Oof. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel really over it, like over that way of thinking and kind of, I've been contemplating just pulling the plug on social media altogether. It's like, I'm still kind of in that trap of thinking like, how would anyone know about anything that I ever do? Um, but I, I feel it loosening its grip. 
It's so it's it, uh, that's such a hard question. I think, especially for people that do something that's creative and public facing, is there is a very real loss of connection because there are those moments of serendipity when you get a DM from someone out of the blue, and they're like, "Hey, I saw you on tour, or I found your thing, or I listened to your album, or I heard your podcast, or whatever." And those mm-hmm. are really beautiful moments. But is it worth the? Uh, the awfulness that comes with these platforms and suffering through all of that to get those little flecks of gold at the end. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It is such a powerful tool for um, certain creative things and organizing. You know, I think that a lot of good has come from it and, you know, people are reconnecting with long lost friends and family all the time. And, um, you know, that, that whole plant medicine tour, I found all the herbalists and farmers largely through hashtag searches, just like Nashville wow. herbalist, you know, it's so, it's really powerful. It's magical. It really is. Yeah. Instant connection. It's almost like a question of curation. Like how do we have better tools to grow these things in harmony and not let the, uh, the weeds, if you will, take over the garden. Um, and mm-hmm. I think some of these environments, uh, the things that we think we're gardening are actually the weeds to somebody else who were not, yeah. uh, were the things that are being harvested and uh, mm-hmm. we're very mixed up about what our role is in all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, a, a moderate path is often the hardest because it really requires um, willpower. Mm-hmm. Like for me, abstinence is so much easier because it's just like, I've just closed the door. I'm not even looking at the thing anymore. It's just a big hard no. But oh, then the, like healthy moderation is so much harder to maintain because then I just feel like once I give myself an inch, it's hard to not take a mile. Yep. Three, mu- three months off Facebook, no problem the first week back of like, I'm just going to check it a little bit. Like I'm <laughs> back exactly where I started. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate what you said, especially your beautiful uh, like image of the, the circus master and the performer, because I think that's something that uh, especially living in New York, I became hyper aware of where our culture prioritizes creativity as like the ultimate. Like, that's mm-hmm. the best thing that you can do. Like, we don't really care about like, oh, like you had a family and you were a good parent and you have like mm-hmm. a, you know, a job that's meaningful. No, no, no. It's like if you can have individual creativity and then you can succeed with that and monetize it, that is the ultimate thing. And mm-hmm. there's so much messaging that I think really denigrates the idea of downtime or not doing that. Like mm-hmm. so much stuff that just really puts on a pedestal the idea of the artist who's in the studio working away at the the next sculpture or piece or album or whatever it might be and really hides the human sacrifice that's required for that. And I'm, I'm sure that for, you know, all of the joy and amazing experiences you had on the road, it's a lot of hardship and a lot of sleeping in your van <laughs> with a sword under your pillow <laughs> while people are prowling around and being lonely and mm-hmm. struggling to connect and all of those sorts of things that go with it. So I think that was very beautifully put and uh, resonates a lot because there's so many distractions that we have to sort of forcefully pull ourselves away from in order to create. I think it's then hard to then create space to create without having that same forcefulness of like, well, now I have to get this thing done or like drive to completion. Mm. Yeah. And it's been helpful to realize and remember that life is a creative act when 
when we're conscious of it or not, even, you know, we're always creating this cinematic experience for ourselves based on the raw data that's coming in through our senses. You know, we're interpreting that data in creative ways all the time. We're telling stories. That is what we're doing. We are like interpreting data and creating a narrative. And that I think has kind of come back into my, the center of my awareness as the ultimate constant creative act. Like your life is the work of art and you have all these options as the director of that movie, like what story am I telling? And that, that kind of ties into the chaotic good thing too, is like life as this role-playing game where, you know, certain aspects are out of our control, but certain aspects are choice and free will. And so, um, yeah, just kind of remembering that creative agency all the time. Yeah, that you can always pull over and, and climb the mountain in, in one sense or another. Yes. Well, I could probably talk to you for like another seven hours, but um, I think we should <laughs> probably uh, close at least this chapter of the story. And I'd love for us to come up with a spell that uh, we can share with the listeners at home so they can mm. bring a little bit of this magic into their lives. Yes. Hmm. Well, one one little spell that kind of ties back into the magic word that I've done uh, throughout the last few years that really kind of um, helps me get my days started in a positive way. Because I think for me, like the mornings are often the most anxiety filled sometimes mm. when I wake up and I'm like, oh no, not this again. Um, uh, is just immediately um, stretching to touch my toes and squeezing each toe one by one and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> like, thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting me, walking me around to everywhere I need to go. Um, and it just feels it like... <laughs> It's hard to not smile when I do it. It's like, oh, this is really cute. <laughs> that is so beautiful. Thank you, Joanna. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. For more of Johanna's work, visit johannawarren.com and check out her latest album, Chaotic Good, wherever you consume music. And combine your magic with the ongoing, space-time-spanning power of this podcast as a ritual, you can sacrifice $4.20 and become a true ritual participant at patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual. That'll get you access to magical bonus content like the Create Your Own Reality Hypnosis tape I mentioned at the beginning of the show, as well as a warm, fuzzy feeling that comes from knowing you've got a personal wizard and you're helping make the world a more magical place. Which honestly is a pretty damn good deal, seeing as a pumpkin spice latte is like way more than $4.20 when you you know, add tax and whatnot. And that's pretty much all sugar, whereas this podcast is pure magic. So before we part ways, let's draw from Johanna's creative well one last time by listening to her song, Off Chaotic Good, Only the Truth.
shadows find where shadows meet like shadows do the edge that lacerates all lovely things and perforates the loftiest of dreams before they get a chance at coming true Punctuate our sighs of pleasure with their shadow screams. I'd been told, but to believe it, I had to see it with my own two eyes. I Inside. 